Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Western culture has been profoundly affected by both modernism and postmodernism, particularly their understanding of the human person as a subjective, autonomous individual. Today's guest, Dr. Mary Shivanandan, invites us to think in a different way. In this podcast, Dr. Shivanandan introduces us to after-modernism and describes how its relational nature holds great relevance for today's globally integrated world. She also demonstrates how after-modernism is grounded in the anthropology of Pope St. John Paul II. Good morning, Dr. Shivanandan. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. I'd like to start off our interview this morning by having you tell our audience a little bit about your background, specifically your education and your professional work. I would be happy to do that. Um, I uh, studied classics at Cambridge uh, University in England, um, and that was a wonderful background, liberal arts background, but I didn't want to stay in the ancient world. So um, after after college, I uh, worked uh, at the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, and then went to Canada and worked for the CBC, um, and that's where I met my husband. Um, and um, so writing particularly uh, seemed to be something that uh, uh, combined with marriage and small children. So um, I took up writing. And I was asked to write about the Natural Family Planning Center uh, in the District of Columbia. And that led to a book contract in the 1970s. And I needed to know why the medical profession had rejected the natural methods of family planning. So I was referred by a colleague to uh, Dr. Botman, who was a medical sociologist at that time at Catholic University. Um, and so that began our collaboration, which has continued ever since. Um, and uh, Dr. Botman describes herself as an agnostic positivist. Uh, it has been a most fruitful collaboration. So later, I was given a fellowship to the John Paul II Institute, um, and I started teaching there a course in natural family planning, but I did my SDL and my doctorate there and uh, continued teaching and only retired in 2012. So that's my background in a nutshell. Yeah, oh, thank you. And you. You've sort of kind of gotten into this second question, but um, I was wondering that because the impetus of this podcast interview is the book is your review of the book Relational Sociology, a new paradigm for the social sciences that you wrote for the summer 2017 of the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. Why is a theologian? Well, uh, I think that I have really uh, uh, that question arises from uh, my work with natural family planning and. Um, so that uh, I did specialize in the anthropology of John Paul II uh, at the John Paul II Institute. Uh, and he wrote his original book, The Wednesday Catechesis on Man and Woman, uh, specifically to explain the teaching on Humanae Vitae. So uh, 
um, and natural family planning is a key key component of that. So, so my work with Dr. Borkman uh, just flowed from that, I would say, and my interest in the book because uh, both uh, uh, Pier Paolo Donati and Margaret Archer, who are well-known uh, sociologists, they base their relational sociology on the work of John Paul II. So it just seemed natural to, to study the book with uh, Dr. Borkman. Great. All right. Well, our, the focus of our discussion today is on after modernity. But in order to discuss after modernity, we first need to know about postmodernity. So I was wondering if you could tell us what the term postmodernity means from the perspective of a theologian. Well, uh, before discussing postmodernity, we do need to know what modernity is. Um, so what happened in the, the 17th century and 18th, 18th century was um, a, a rejection of a religion as the arbiter of truth and uh, making reason the arbiter of truth. Of course, we know in the Catholic tradition, reason is uh, very important. It, it's, uh, it's a God-given uh, gift to us. But um, to eliminate the, uh, the, uh, the transcendental aspect is, um, is what the problem is with modernity. Uh, and then there was the development of science and that methodology is only what can be perceived through evidence um, is acceptable. Therefore, you can only know matter, and that, that means the rejection of the spiritual, the transcendence. So that is not, even, not real. And so um, modernity did still keep the understanding of the creator, but post-modernity, um, there was distrust of reason itself, since the researcher introduces bias into the results. So um, <clears throat> post-modernity, uh, sub subjectivism is, is what is the, the norm. So when you throw out the spiritual and transcend it as a path to truth and God as a creator, you risk the truth of reason itself. For the Son is logos, God's word and reason, in which man only participates Reason, in other words, is unhinged from its source in truth. So practically speaking, um, you spoke from a philosophical perspective, practically speaking, what challenges does or did postmodernity present, particularly for Catholicism? Well, um, first of all, uh, it creates a different anthropology. Um, and a different anthropology underlies postmodernism and aftermodernism. So um, it has to do with the relational notion of the human person. The human person is basically relational. Uh, and aftermodernism is grounded in that. So the person is both sui juris, I, I, for example, wills for itself, yet cannot fulfill himself without a relation, both with God and with another human being. So in other words, the person is intrinsically relational. Now, modernism and postmodernism make the self-enclosed individual paramount. And so instead of being a unity of body and soul, 
Science has only given credibility to what can be, be seen, in other words, the body and matter, and that can be manipulated at will. Um, if you don't have a creator, then man becomes the master of, uh, of reality, and, and that's what the problem is with, um, with postmodernism. So man can construct the body to change gender, for example, at will. So um, man then, in espousing in vitro fertilization or surrogate motherhood, ignores the relational dimension of the person. And in doing that, ignores the basic humanity of the child as a relational being. So it has a lot to do with bioethics. And we'll come back to those, uh, those issues a little bit later in the interview. Um, but speaking as a theologian, which you are, how would you describe postmodernism from the perspective of sociology? Uh, well, um, it, this was very interesting because I was working with, uh, with Dr. Borkman, who's an agnostic positivist. And um, uh, she uh, looks back and says that, uh, and I, I spoke with her, and she says that um, the postmodernist uh, sociology that has uh, um, really abstracted from a realist ontology um, is, is she doesn't, she's not comfortable with that at all. And the other thing that she says is that working with um, Ken Schmitz, who's a, uh, was a, he died just recently, but a well-known professor of philosophy in um, Toronto, Canada, um, that she, uh, she gained a lot of understanding about the reality of the transcendent, of the spiritual realm and also the notion that the person is whole. So um, that, that the, the scientism, which uh, doesn't recognize uh, anything but material evidence, that's, uh, that's a hallmark of postmodernity, plus the distrust of reason as getting to any truth, real truth at all. In his book, Relational Sociology, A New Paradigm for the Social Sciences, the book that you reviewed for the for the quarterly, Perpolo Donati claims that we are emerging we are emerging from the postmodernist age to one of aftermodernism. How would you describe this aftermodernism? Well, um, I think that uh, uh, we would have to refer mostly uh, to culture because sociology uh, studies social relations, and um, with with regard to culture, most cultures in the world are still grounded in the truth of nature with a belief in a transcendent being. So it is primarily Western civilization that has adopted postmodernism and the autonomy of the, the individual. So, for example, in Hindu culture, relations are primary, whether you are mother, father, son, daughter, or cousin. So um, there is the relational component there, but this overemphasis on relation can cause problems, especially for women. So when the two cultures meet, both are modified. And this is what we talk about with aftermodernism. The subjectivity of the individual person is essential, but a static closed autonomy is not. So in postmodernity, 
the change that may occur when the two cultures meet is denied. It's a, what the, the Archer and uh, Donati call a flat ontology. Um, <clears throat> so either the culture is denied or is completely annihilated, or it is set off in a ghetto of its own, as is happening with uh, Muslim culture um, in, in Europe particularly. Can you speak a little bit more about that? That's, very, that's a very interesting insight. Yes. Well, it is. I would like to give examples. Um, Please because do. Because after, moder after modernism looks to the fruitfulness of the encounter between cultures, where both are modified for the better. So there's not a, a separation, there's not a denial, and neither uh, is there a separation. So, um, so what really happens is there is unity, what we call uh, theologically is unity in uh, difference. Um, and I think for, to go back to John Paul II, um, we have to go back to the first unity in difference is the masculine feminine. And I'd like to give a concrete example of this. Um, we used to go skating on the canal in, uh, in uh, Washington. Um, and then uh, you would watch the boys skating and they would tend to race each other. And the girls can, tended to pirouette on a single patch of ice. But when you put the two together and they combine to dance, so each is still him or herself, but together they create something new. So each culture is different, has something unique to offer. So postmodernism can only offer total separation or homogenization. Now, Archer and Donati, who are the chief proponents of this relational sociology we're talking about, they grounded it in the anthropology of John Paul II, and John Paul II grounded it in the relations in the Trinity. So the Father generates the Son and the Holy Spirit, who is equally a person, uh, and he is the bond of love between them. So JP II applied Trinitarian relations to marriage. For example, the man initiates love the woman receives this, and thereby they cause to come into existence both the bond of love and the child. So in marriage encounter, uh, for example, um, couples view their bond as a separate entity. And then De Archer and Donati transpose this to cultures. So I think we would say that the church in its incarnation in many cultures already applies the principles of aftermodernism. I think we can see that in the great variety, uh, the unity and difference. Um, but what Western um, colonization, which Pope Francis calls the colonization of ideology, they want to make everything flat and uh, homogenize it. Is that helpful? It is helpful. And I'm wondering, as you're speaking, I'm thinking back to a couple of things that you wrote in the, uh, in the review. And I'm, you're talking about the efforts of Western cultures to export democracy to different parts of the world that hasn't really worked all that well. Or just as you mentioned a little earlier in this interview, 
um, groups, particularly Muslim groups, who have been, who are essentially who are in Europe but are in ghettos. They're they're not assimilating to Western culture. Is this divide between the autonomous individual and a relational understanding? Is that at the core of the reason why these distinctions still exist? I would say so, yes. And uh, if if you read uh, Scalia, I just had the book uh, uh, by Antonin Scalia, some of mm-hmm. his essays, and also de Tocqueville, um, if there is uh, democracy can become quite tyrannical with uh, if it's just majority rule and doesn't have the checks and balances that... Uh, was set in the um, uh, in 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 democracy in the United States. Um, so the, this ideology is really taking hold in in Western culture, and uh, um, uh, it's causing a lot of problems. Right. I'd like to go back to uh, something you brought up a little earlier, particularly reproductive technologies. And I'm wondering how does after modernism provide a solution or at least a response to the crisis created by postmodernism, particularly in the context, as you mentioned, of artificial reproductive technologies or even the gender neutral movement, as you talked about in the review? Well, I'm very glad you asked that uh, because this is some of the work that I did with Dr. Borkman. She reframed natural family planning as a behavioral approach to managing fertility as opposed to the biological model of, of, of contraception. So natural family planning treats the couple, not only as whole persons, but as a, the relationship between them, and not as isolated individuals, which contraception does. So um, I think that the separation of procreation um, uh, from uh, the out of the the sexual relationship uh, is critical and uh, it's critical for all um, uh, the um, it you know, once you do that uh, you're separating the body and the soul and you're not looking at the whole person uh, and then uh, you can say um, same-sex marriage is acceptable um, in vitro fertilization is acceptable. So I don't believe myself we can transition into the richness of after-modernity without taking seriously Humane Vitae and the Trinitarian anthropology it rests on. Um, and that's a big challenge, but I, I, I don't think that's possible without reuniting the, the, um, uh, the procreative and the unitive. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. It, it it and again as you're speaking, I'm thinking, and it 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 seems as if, as you've described Western culture being focused on you know the subjective and and the autonomous individual, that it seems almost inevitable that we would have had this break between the procreative and the unitive because people's you know people see themselves as being you know the end. We've we've gotten we've forgotten about the relational part of, of human relationships, which is what NFP is really based on. And so it, it, it's almost, you know, if, if, if we're going to be subjective individuals, it's almost inevitable that this break happened. Well, I think so. But I think it's also important to, um, to say that, uh, that subjectivity uh, is an essential part of the person. 
Uh, and John Paul II um, is is very strong on subjectivity. That's why he has the notion of man is created as an original solitude, created first of all as a person before relationship. But that uh, but he's not created as an autonomous individual. So that development in Western culture, in some ways, was was very important, but it went astray. Your response leads me right into the next question. Um, as one example of the transition from postmodernism to aftermodernism, we need to replace the notion of the individual with that of the person. Absolutely. Yes. How, do these con- how do these concepts differ? And why is this difference necessary to transition from post to aftermodernism? Well, as I say, the, um, uh, the individual is autonomous, uh, is autonomous, it doesn't have a relationship with, with, with God, doesn't have a relationship with another person. So they, they become little gods themselves, and they can decide what is right and wrong. Um, and so you have the islands of these who are only uh, driven by their own needs. Um, and so we need to get back to the idea of the person who has a fundamental relationship with God as creator uh, and also with another human person. The, 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 the person is limited. Masculinity is, is, is whole but limited. So uh, they have to um, pass their richness on to the, the feminine and the feminine has to... to uh, pass the richness on to the masculine in order for them to be whole persons. Very good. Moving on. Um, in your review of the Donati book, you write, quote, society is made up of social tension, uh, excuse me, society is made up of social relations in respect to which, in, to which human beings are both imminent and transcendent. The relationships between individuals or between many individuals coalesce into the habits of a culture. It is dynamic rather than static, unquote. How does this observation help frame the transition from postmodernism to aftermodernism? Well, I think it frames the encounter between cultures. Uh, it opens up the possibility of dialogue. And um, when one culture meets another, um, they are both transformed in, in that in that meeting, they are both transformed, um, and so uh, the, the one can pass the richness on to to the other. For example, I think in Africa they have a, a great value of uh, life of the new child, um, and Europe is 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 dying from that perspective. So um, you know, I think that they can they can pass that on, but both. Both sides have to be open um, to to the richness in the other. What do you see happening? Look, I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball. What do you see happening in the future? Will that happen? Well, uh, it. Uh, I said I think it is happening uh, in uh, in in the church. Um, I think that is already happening uh, in the church. But um, you you have a question. I know about. What challenges will aftermodernism pose to the church? Um, and I think that that is uh, is, is possibly the the the, uh, the greatest challenge is that um, uh, is is bringing uh, Christ 
um, uh, being uh, bringing Christ to um, this encounter with cultures. That leads us into the the question that you that you referenced there. Uh, you state in the review, quote. While postmodernity looks back to a failed vision of life and society, after modernity looks forward to a new, hopefully more enriching phase that is compatible with Trinitarian anthrop- with the, that is compatible with the Trinitarian anthropolo- anthropology of Pope Saint John Paul II. Unquote. So, can you describe the similarities between after modernity and Pope John Paul II's Trinitarian anthropology? Well, I think um, hopefully I did by giving some examples. Uh, it, it's a culture of dialogue, a culture of uh, encounter, um, and uh, so. Uh, but each side has to be open, and uh, um, I understand at the present time that uh, in in a Muslim culture, it is. Uh, against the law to convert to Christianity. That's also the case now in India to convert really? to Christianity. So this this is not an openness uh, to um, to after modernism. So after modernism, uh, you know, it does offer many opportunities of encounter, uh, but. It, not if it's it's uh, it, it it becomes just separation. People have to be willing to have the encounter. Yes, yes. Following up on that, how well prepared or not well prepared is the church to recognize and apply after modernism in its life and ministry? Well, I think the the danger is to deny the primacy of Christ. And the danger is in ecumenism uh, or, you know, that just regards every culture as equal. Uh, Christ can transform cultures uh, and the culture can remain true to itself, but uh, must be open to allow that to happen. How do you do that? How do you, how do you, incult, how do you encounter a culture, a non-Christian well, culture? Well, that's, that's, that's well, what they call that the $24,000 question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure that uh, I think that's, that's a pastoral um, uh, question. I think traditionally missionaries have, uh, have, have gone out to these countries to teach the truth of Christ. But I know that um, uh, Pope Benedict and John Paul II speak about the importance of witness the great importance of witness in evangelization. As we come to the end of this podcast, uh, what final words of wisdom would you like to share? Uh, well, w- once again, I would like to, to stress the importance of, um, of uh, the, um, the Church's teaching in, in Humanae Vitae. Uh, it's based on a different anthropology, uh, it's an anthology of encounter. Dr. Borkman and I did work together on what uh, what it means in terms of communication, so that even at that micro level, um, it's very, very important in order to um, extend and branch out to the the, the macro level. So. Um, 
that that's what I'd like to to leave you with. And since you're bioethicist, um, I know it's a challenge in our culture, but it's <laughs> going to be essential. It is a great challenge. Thank you very much for your for your time with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. I'm your host, Joe Zalot. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.